Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That makes me want to fucking jump off a cliff and kill myself. <laughs> Thursday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Q&A podcast and weekend preview with me, Adam Bolt, with the one and only Nico Morales. Four in a row. Four Can we in believe a row. it? They said it this could be done. Moment. They said it could be done. They said it could be done. Uh, and we're delighted to be joined once again by the one and only Statman Dave as well. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nice. Perfect. You enjoyed hearing that uh, Old Trafford this week, Dave, for the first time in a, in a while? I did, yeah. It was uh, it, it brought a tear to the eye. Did that music now? at the Old Trafford Stadium in Manchester. It was um, a wonderful experience. And to see Marouane Fellaini, great <laughs> player, never lived, scored a goal. <laughs> Made it even more it beautiful. Was, yeah, it was touching. It was really touching. And also, uh, Chris Hennage is here as well. Chris, you're taking Lawrence's uh, role of walking about the streets recording a podcast. Hello, basically. Basically, uh, basically, what we've got for you today in part one is the Champions League roundup. We'll be answering your questions on all the midweek European action. In part two, Lawrence McKenna and Chris will be talking the Europa League. Before in part three, we'll be previewing weekend's action once again in association with Fan League. Before all that, though, it is the Thursday podcast, which means it's time for whole of the week, our favourite iTunes review of the week. If you want to be in contention for whole of the week, guys, it's really easy. All you've got to do is click on the link in the description of this podcast, rate and review the front three on iTunes, and you will be in with a shout of being whole of the week and winning yourself a six pack of delicious Ferrero Rocher. Don't ask me why, I've forgotten why that is the prize. So we've got three reviews this week. Uh, Dave, seeing as you're back now you get to choose the winner uh first up andy mcgee 44 from the uk says you've charmed me he says i don't give shitty reviews if a good podcast comes to me and says thank you andrew for the loyalty and continued support in the football related podcast arena uh but i've done that i want to better myself i want to move on then i can make that dream come true too aka for you the point is you talk the talk you do not walk the walk vis-a-vis you spend 10 minutes reading reviews and not talking about football at the start of every podcast the man who gives the stars in the itunes factory is a personal friend of mine all right i know you're the pod for the job uh nico let me ask you first have you got any idea what any of that was about 
That's like a David Brent reference. Right? Hey, I pretty, love pretty funny. your style. Uh, yes, an office reference there. Beautifully, uh, beautifully translated to be relevant to the front free. So thank you, Andy. Uh, James, CFC23 from the UK writes, awesome podcast, five stars. For a football mad person like myself, this podcast absolute gold. I'm always looking for ways to expand my football knowledge and this certainly does just that. I'm 15 year old and looking to become a sports journalist. So please, could you give me some advice on what to do for work experience? Uh, A-levels and university. I'm also very good at French and Spanish. But will that be of any use in this field? Uh, thanks from James. Uh, James, thank you very much for your review. Uh, I'd say, yeah, being bilingual, being what trilingual actually is uh, going to be a big help for you. Uh, any advice for, for work experience, Dave? Just got to get yourself out there, get your foot in the door, yeah, what, etc. What language is that again? Sorry, Spanish and... Francais et yeah. espagnol. Hey, tell you what, if I were, if I were young Alex, was it? Uh, James. James, sorry, young James. Um, I'd probably fire an email over maybe to, to Liga and or you know, on the Liga and see if they need any... Um, I don't know, fire an email over. They need any work experience. <laughs> yeah, just fire one over to the league. Fire you, one over. But make, make sure you put you put a subject heading, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah make, make sure, you know, if you don't put a subject heading, they'd get upset at that. Yeah, just, uh, what, is, what is it? Liga at Liga.com? I'm sure. I'd, I'd, you know, I reckon work. you could gamble. I'd probably, no, info at Liga, I reckon you'd hit something. Yeah. You've just got to be a bit smart. I, I've got some actual useful advice. Yeah, please, Nico, go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say it depends really on what type of, I guess, sports quote unquote journalist you want to be, but the most important thing that you can do is try to. Uh, get your foot in the door, as it were. Go to go to a local team's press conference. Start uh, figuring out how to ask, you know, professional players players questions. Uh, write as much as you can, um, and yeah, just don't work for free for anyone. Email Liga. Yeah. Two uh, different pieces of advice there. Probably go with Nico myself, James, but it's up to you. Thank you for your review nonetheless. Uh, finally, we've Jake, got Ag William. Ag William from the UK, whose five-star review is entitled Killed My Phone. Avid listener of the podcast and have followed your content from the Football Daily Weekly days. My God, we're going back. Uh, quality analysis and general football guys. Keep up the good work. Uh, any possibility of a video special adds another dimension. Watch this space, watch this space. Uh, also, he says, while on a recent flight, listening to the front three, my phone decided to pack in. So not ideal. Sorry about that, uh, William. Uh, not much we can do about that, unfortunately, but we do appreciate your five-star review nonetheless. So three five-star reviews there, Dave. Uh, who would you like to go with? Andy, uh, who apparently loves The Office. James, who is looking for a bit of advice and, you know, maybe got a mixed uh, mixed bag. And uh, William there, whose uh, phone we apparently killed. Um, I feel sorry for William's phone. Um, apologies. You know, if that was my voice or Nico's or Adam's that we're, we're sorry um, and unfortunately for me not not the biggest fan of The Office so unfortunately the first review is going to be chalked off so wow. I'm going to give it to the, the young lad looking to make his, his way in the game the wonder kid of the journalistic world remember info at Liga.com will yeah. probably hit yeah. a target yeah. Andy has been it. absolutely robbed that was sure. the greatest review yeah. uh, I've ever heard I think sorry Andy. Nico I don't know whether I should overrule Dave uh, in order Overruled to, uh, Dave. to give Overruled Dave. but I did say it was Dave's choice I'm afraid it's someone else's choice each week that's the beauty Look, of it go. we live in a democracy so 
Dave, we're going to give it to James, the young, uh, the young trilingual journalist. James, thank you so much for your review. Do get in touch on Twitter at the front free. Slide into those DMs. Let us know your details, and we'll get you some Ferrero Rochers sent out. Right, let's crack on because, uh, as Andy said, we do spend ten minutes doing the reviews instead of talking about football. Let's start talking about football. It's the Champions League review, and there's only one place to start. Dave, and that's Tottenham's momentous 3-1 win over Borussia Dortmund. Harry Kane's world-class. Serge Aurier's better than Carl Walker. Spurs have banished the Wembley woes. We're going to win the Champions League, Dave. Absolute rubbish. What? One, what one Harry Kane, the first Harry Kane goal was a foul. He committed two fouls in that <laughs> move. On, Referee Come absolutely bottled it. It's Champions it's Champions League, like surely you know the rules. It's less contact, it's more, you know, slowing the play down from the referee and it's not supposed to be flowing as much. So for me, that was a foul. Obviously, Borussia Dortmund got a goal that was correct, ruled off for offside because Delano absolutely bottled it. Again, the offside rule needs, the interpretation needs to be sorted. Dortmund dominated the game, but then again, they played sort of a Roger Smith suicidal high line and that's why we're obviously... Spurs did well they just broke on them so I think for Dortmund um, and especially Peter Bosch he needs to maybe change his approach when he's playing against players such as uh, you know Son and Kane who like to make the runs in behind the defence and obviously he's not got the quickest back line in uh, Toprak and of course uh, Socrates so it seems like a weird approach for them away but they did dominate the ball they dominated possession and they dominated the chances so for me it was an interesting game Spurs did win but Dortmund deserved more than just zero points are you joking mate are you actually joking I'm being serious. This is the perspective you're going to take from Spurs' historic win. Historic win. (laughs) All right, I'm I'm being slightly facetious. But come on. What about the positives for Spurs, Dave? Come on. I don't know. I just think that that Spurs, the the scoreline really doesn't reflect the game at all. Nico, come on, give me some positives for Spurs. It was a fantastic performance. Davinson Sanchez, again, with a fantastic uh, performance in that back three. Uh, Serge Aurier, on his debut, was phenomenal down that right-hand side. Harry Kane, as well, those two great goals. Where's the positives? I I, I completely disagree with Dave. Uh, To some extent, I think the the scoreline doesn't necessarily reflect the game because obviously Dortmund had a few chances and obviously they had that um, Aubameyang goal disallowed. But overall, I think it was a really, really good performance from Spurs. And if they can continue to play that way, this is is one of the things that we've asked of Pochettino to game manage situations a little bit better. And they were really compact once they were 2-1 up. They, um, you know, enacted that medium block and waited for Dortmund to come onto them and asked them the question to break them down. And in some situations, Dortmund had like a few half chances. You know, they were holding possession in wide areas to try to trigger the press and then uh, build it through the middle and see if they could play through. But in a lot of situations, Tottenham got the ball back and they were able to counter. And that's ultimately why they won 3-1. It was that danger on the counter. So uh, unlike last year, although it is, you know, still the first game, Mm. I think if we see this kind of performance from Spurs where they're perhaps a little bit more defensive and they have that, you know, uh, advantage in the Champions League where they might be playing the likes of, of, I think they are in a group with Real Madrid, right? Mm -hmm. It's true. So once they play Real Madrid and once they play sides that maybe will look to have possession and be uh, more dominant on the ball, that, that plays right into the into their game plan really so I think if they can continue to have these type of performances and maybe clean up some of the stuff and clean up some of the pressing actions then Spurs could Spurs could do something in the Champions League it's hard to disagree with that isn't it Chris I think uh, Toby Altevera came out after the game and saw how the performance saying the Spurs played like adults not children as Nico's pointing to there there was this perception that you know, Spurs, uh, their style of squeezing high up the pitch, imposing themselves, doesn't necessarily work against 
opponents of Dortmund's calibre, but having this this way of playing a bit more clinical on the counter attack, it was perfect from Pochettino, wasn't it? I, I think I'm curious to know if, if Dave's opinion is based on uh, dominance of play rather than anything else, because I think yeah, if you maybe watch the highlights, you would say you know what Dortmund had control of the game, they were passing it around, there were some neat triangles, but ultimately I thought. Dortmund played like Ajax did in the Europa League final so there was nothing really to take from it other than well they did this and this was pretty um, whereas Pochettino yeah I think he, I think he game managed things I think he took the situation and said look you know we've got a decent back three two quite aggressive fullbacks to varying degrees Aurier more so than Davies and we can sit and we can soak up a lot of their pressure because they're not playing with their best players they do have a little mini injury crisis if you will and I think yeah I think he managed it really well and and if I'm a Dortmund fan I'm almost frustrated that, that we didn't learn from sort of the first goal and then concede the second and and open ourselves up for the third because let's be honest that the three goals that Tottenham scored weren't their only chances they had opportunities in space they had a few instances where there was a man over and a better pass would have put them right in behind dead easily so yeah I actually think you have to give sort of some responsibility to Dortmund for not learning if you will and not um, adapting to the game as it unfolded and, and as lessons presented themselves but I don't think you can ask much more of Pochettino because he didn't try and, and outplay them I think mm. because he knew if he opened them up that's probably where they would, would be in trouble and get picked off and and I would argue maybe even against Chelsea, you realise that, you know what, there are probably going to be teams that will try and, and counter and pick us off when we defend. So he, he probably learned something from that. And I'd imagine he took a lesson from the Europa League final as well. Hold on, let me let me interject there. I think that in terms of Tottenham, they had four shots on target, right? Two of them were directly at Berkey. Berkey should have saved two of those goals. One of them was a foul anyway on Harry Kane, like I mentioned before. And the other, Son, you, you should, you know, that's never going in near post. They're two quite fortunate goals in a way you wipe those two off the game's flat Abemiang scores a goal that's uh, you know un- you know incorrectly ruled for offside in terms of the style of play and how Dortmund put themselves on that pitch that was very very impressive and I almost think it's kind of the English media perspective that Dortmund came with the ball and they just did these pretty passes and they had more possession and that's the narrative now it gets really boring that that is what the narrative is if a team hits someone on the break and they score you know three goals from four chances they dominated that game but for me it you know, it's very fortuitous that Tottenham won that game. I think they didn't dominate; they won. That's the difference. Sorry, but I, I feel that's bordering on pretentious to say this is the English media narrative to say that because Tottenham were effective in front of goal, they can't have been the better team. They managed the game better. They played the systems better. They realised that Dortmund would keep passing it around and wouldn't look to soak up at one-one. I think I think Tottenham adapted to the situation. They were far more pragmatic. Um, I, yeah, I've got my opinions on the game and you two obviously have different opinions so that's, that's absolutely fine but I just think that Dortmund did dominate and it's just going back to this they created chances Toljan got high up the pitch Piszczek got high up the pitch they had domination completely in midfield which in a way is embarrassing if you're at home you shouldn't be dominated in midfield like Spurs were there was definitely issues in that game that Spurs didn't adapt to and because of the high line I think that's the big issue that Dortmund were playing a little bit too high and again it goes back to this German mentality of of pressing from the front of his pressing but, that, but that was 
that was part of their game plan is that the, the three back system that was extraordinarily high that works sometimes, you know, they did catch uh, Harry Kane and, and Huang Min Son offside uh, quite a few times because of the, um, you know, the, the, the high line that they were playing. They still, I think they didn't really adapt to the situation. And yes, it is sort of a tired narrative to say that, you know, they, they as you mentioned, I'm not going to reiterate it, but I think Spurs did really well here to, to be defensive and compact and play to, to sort of bait uh, Dortmund into certain situations. I think they played the spaces very well and they made certain passes look open in midfield and then they jumped on the receiver uh, when when those mistakes were made and, that, and that's really part of their game plan. So I understand what you're saying and I don't think it was a complete domination by Tottenham or anything mm. and there were good things that Dortmund were doing and it's not the end of the road for them. I think they, they have a very promising coach and Peter Bosch was someone that was known really a lot for his pressing and now we see a more complex possession game maybe more similar to the previous Dorman coach in, in, in Tuchel, but at the same time, you know, Spurs, I, I, like I said, and like Chris said, I think they game manage the situation really well, and you can only, you know, beat what's in front of you, and if they can push on from this result, which is really good for them, because there's three really good teams in this group in Real Madrid, Dortmund, and Spurs. Then they, 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 you know, they have to be that second one because mm. it's hard to believe that anyone will come ahead of Real Madrid. Well, that's the thing. These Dortmund games are going to decide potentially who's going to finish second in this group. So to get this win at home uh, is an extremely important one for Spurs. I'm disappointed. You know, Dave's not giving Spurs much credit there. I think, as you guys are saying, they were very pragmatic. And although, yes, they had only four shots on target, I'd argue they created more chances and they had other chances to uh, to score more. Maybe the game would have been different if that Aubameyang goal uh, had been ruled on side. Of course, that would have leveled it up um, and there might have been a different uh, sort of spin on the game. But as it was, I think it's a very impressive win for Spurs. Uh, puts them second in the group. First, of course, are Real Madrid, who uh, who beat Apoel Nicosia 3-0 to go top of Group H. Uh, Ronaldo with two, of course. Uh, Sergio Ramos with a, a pretty impressive overhead kick. Uh, might have been free for Ronaldo. I don't know if you saw him. He tried to argue with the referee over uh, his shot being over the line. It sort of ricocheted off the bar. Um, somehow trying to argue with goal line technology. Only Ronaldo could do that. Uh Perhaps the most uh, significant talking point from the game, though, uh, as hinted at from this question from Kenny J. Robolo on Twitter. He says, what are your thoughts on Marco Asensio missing out on the game yesterday due to an infection from shaving his legs? Uh, I don't know if you heard about this one, Chris. Uh, Marco Asensio, apparently big fan of shaving his legs, got a sort of a pimple on his leg, which meant he apparently couldn't take part after it got infected. This is peak modern football, isn't it? Yeah, I find if you wax it, it doesn't. Uh, doesn't lead you to that road of ruin yeah Um, gotta be smart Marco come on yeah I mean it's it's perfect for the older generation isn't it it's it's a great big massive stick to beat young people with that they wax their legs (laughs) or that they shave their legs nothing wrong with it each their own eh? each their own Um, let's move on to the other game last night uh the other English team in action, of course, were Liverpool at home. Uh, they were 1-0 down to Sevilla. They managed to come back to 2-1. Of course, they missed a penalty and they ended up dropping points uh, in the end. It was 2 all. Uh, narrowly sort of missed out on a defeat. There was a, a moment in the last few minutes where it could have all gone wrong for Liverpool. Feels like a, a missed opportunity, Dave, there to, uh, to secure three points. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. I think that Sevilla showed that they're still... A decent team. I think we'll see that from, you know, there's still some players in there that have been at Sevilla for a while and they're, they're obviously the backing from Monchi and he knows who to bring in. I think Hassim Ben Yebda's showing that he can translate futsal to football, obviously coming from that 
angle, took his goal very well. I was quite impressed by Joaquim um, Carrera as well. He played very well, moving in between the lines as a 10. Um, I, I think there's still issues of Liverpool. I think structurally they look quite poor. There was a big chance at the end that sort of highlights Liverpool's issues at the moment where defensively they're not really set up when the game is going. They just look like some players look lost. I think there was a chance for Muriel right at the end that could have even won it for Sevilla. And Joel Matip is, is sitting on halfway line and, and Jordan Henderson is behind him. Jordan Henderson's playing defensive midfield and you centre-halves ahead of him. There's a bit of structural issues there. I initially thought it was Oxlade-Chamberlain's poor positioning because I thought he was playing right back at that time. But in fact, he only moved to right back after the red card for um, Gomez. And it just seemed a bit absolutely crazy. Like, you shouldn't be engaging that high up the pitch as a centre-half. Um, for Jurgen Klopp, I think there's got to be you've got to be more cautious. And again, Liverpool will get caught out, but you expect there to be high-scoring games. And it's 12 games in a row in the Champions League, where Liverpool haven't kept a clean sheet. So the stats aren't with them at the moment in terms of a defensive sense. So they are going to have to outscore people. It's going to be like the um, you know you think in the, the qualifying that they went through beating Hoffenheim. It's going to be like that in most games, which will be very exciting. It'll be very exciting down at Anfield. Um, for goals and expect them to go through this group. It's obviously a bad start, but I expect them to go through with the, the likes of Mane and, and Moreno, who's mm. looking like a new player this season. He's looking more uh, composed, and his relationship with Sadio Mane is looking like a one for the you know for the future seasons when Mane does return after his ban- being banned for GBH. Um, so it's one of these things where the left hand side could start to be their strength when it used to be their weakness. Here is a rather incendiary question that Darren White has sent in uh, in reaction to this game, Chris. He says. Is Jurgen Klopp's charisma hiding the fact that he is simply not a world-class manager? Uh, what do you make of that, Chris? That's a very good question. Um, I mean, I almost feel bad because I can almost see Lawrence tearing up um, when I say that I, I don't think he's world-class. I don't think he's, he's ever been world-class. I think he's been very good um, and he's he's got a way of playing that is very effective and obviously you know it, it leans from English football in the 1980s so again it's not like he built an entire ideology at the same time he took a, a large base of something and then supplemented it so I don't think he's world class I think what we're learning now is that as as football progresses into this current era that it's in pragmatism is very much a needed skill for managers that really you can't just keep batting the door down with one big weapon. You have to find different ways to attack teams because they're trying to evolve at the same time. They're not just seeking on the fact, well, you know, if we sit deep and we do this, we'll, we'll cause problems. They, they're watching their opponents and, and they're trying to find ways to, to stop them. And I think for, for Klopp, you look at defensively. I keep meaning to look at what they were like defensively at Dortmund. But you look at him defensively as a coach. And as we were talking, I was talking to Nico last night about it on Twitter. They never look harmonious. They never look like they pass the ball from back to front very well, um, and and can never really construct like these long chains of passing. And I think it goes back to that defensive element, which is you look at the first goal against Man City at the weekend, and I mean you can even look at the first one against Sevilla. Yes, that's a mistake, but just from an organisational standpoint. They look at sixes and sevens and maybe you throw Virgil van Dijk in there and suddenly, you know, all the ducks get in a row because he's organising and he's talking to people. But at the same time, I think this is the problem. Klopp is now sat at this impasse where all the good sort of uh, karma or good faith earned from his, his personality and what he'd done at Dortmund, I think that's running on low at the minute. 
I think there's certainly an argument to be made that, right, he's got this fantastic attacking group. They've got some good midfield pieces. But still, the defence is stopping them winning a Premier League title anytime soon. So what is he going to do to fix that? Because, you know, we were all happy to throw pelters at Guardiola last season. Could argue the same about Mourinho. And they've adapted. Now, they've adapted through spending huge sums of money, which you could argue... Klopp doesn't necessarily have at his disposal. I know he's got Naby Keita coming. It's at that point you say, okay, well, maybe there needs to be more coaching. That's the difficulty. We don't see those kind of things. So, yeah, I think I don't think he's a world-class manager, first and foremost. And I think his, his personality has maybe masked that to a certain degree. I was going to say, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, Guardiola and Mourinho have evolved by spending large sums of money. And, and to some extent, that's true. But I think also a key part of what Guardiola has done this season, and this becomes clear and evident during the, the Liverpool game, is that I think the reason that he feels more comfortable evolving his approach, you know, using the likes of Kyle Walker and Benjamin Mundy, um, although, you know, they did cost a lot of money, is because he knew that, you know, the likes of Bakary Sanya and Gail Clichy and, and the players that he had last season were not capable of that same approach. Had he, you know, gone with the same type of formation and asked them to be as athletic and, and as uh, energetic as the two new fullbacks have been, um, then I think we would have, you know, it would have ended up in a, in a far worse situation defensively. So he did what he could with the pieces that he had at the time um and i think that now that he has you know the pieces albeit that they did cost a lot of money um he feels comfortable in in enacting a different approach and a more even defensive approach um and a more dynamic approach because that's what those players are able to give him benjamin mendy and kyle walker are able to get up and down the pitch and and do a variety of things that the older fullbacks weren't um so, you know, that that was just my my response to that. But in terms of the Sevilla game as well, um, I think this is this is one of the things that maybe is I brought up in the piece that I did for the ringer in the sense that this is a game where we need to see Klopp evolve because they were up two one and then they continued to play football. And but what, what I mean by playing football is like the, the the approach to the game for the entire game for both teams is that they were both very open. There was no really sense of compactness. There was very little, you know, defensive organization from both teams. And I think they were playing this like older style of like there was a lot of space for team you know players on both sides to attack uh Correa saw a ton of space in the midfield Mane and Salah saw a ton of space out wide and there was no really um tactical ideas trying to negate those things and the game was very open and Liverpool being up to one you know the evolution that I guess I'm asking for of Klopp um needs to be that you know you go two one up and you need to be more possession dominant or he need to be more compact in defense and and hit him on the counter and that change never came they just continued to be open and they suffered the consequences well what you were talking about earlier uh, Nico there about Guardiola brings us on I was going to try and jump in earlier but it does bring us on to uh, the win over final 4-0 in the end big win commanding win um, but we're talking about managers evolving we're talking about ideas uh, getting through to their teams Guardiola came out after the game and said he was most impressed not with the result itself but the way they won specifically off the ball last season we saw him complain about a lack of aggressive pressing from the front uh, he sort of blamed that for the, the exit from Europe last season at the hands of Monaco obviously signs for improvement this season as we're discussing here do you think uh, this is a sign now with this pressing from the front that Guardiola's ideas are starting to take hold starting to be reflected in his side 
Well, I think that was actually one of the first things that was cor- to some extent correctly implemented last season was the the pressing from the front and counter pressing in general because it's not the most tactically or it's not the most complex idea to implement, but it, it's one of those things that pressing in general, pressing as a tactic, is is something that can be really good or, or really bad depending on how you implement it in your system. And so with that, I think the biggest problem for Manchester City last season was the over-aggression or under-aggression in specific, uh, in specific instances of the press, since you know there are so many players far forward, and like I mentioned before, the uh, lack of athleticism from key players in that defense system like Zabaleta and, and Sanya, um, you know, made Manchester City very, I guess, one-dimensional to, to some extent. But now that we have those players that are able to get up and down the pitch defensively and the pressing is a little bit more refined, they know when to do it, they know how to do it, and they know the best situations to try to mitigate that risk, then we're seeing a system come together a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I think in addition to the fact that maybe the players are understanding the the concept a little better, there are players in there that are able to do it um, better. But at the same time, we can't really get carried away because it was, uh, with all due respect to the Dutch league, it was it was fine. Or so uh, from minute one, Manchester City were absolutely you know running riot. So um, a good performance, but but not something too too good mm. Guardiola also singling out John Stones for praise Dave obviously got two goals albeit one a bit of a freebie that should have been cleared off the line by Feyenoord uh, this brings the question from Packed Mouse is John Stones the most underrated defender in Europe I wouldn't say so no I don't think I don't think the performance against Feyenoord would change that in a way you know what John Stones did well was in, in a ball playing and an attacking sense obviously scoring the two goals, but you know, defensively, there's still there's still work to be done. And but he is learning. I think the good thing about John Stones is what you hear about his attitude is it's very good. He's, a, he's almost a sponge to information. So you know, maybe he'll come back. But in terms of underrated, absolutely not. I think he's he's rated now. I think everyone knows what John Stones is in a way uh, mm. right now. But where he can get is he can be. Uh, you know, he could become one of the best centre backs in the world football, but it is a lot about development and that'll have, you know help under Pep Guardiola. We saw Jerome Boateng for Bayern Munich play a wonderful pass for the Kimmich goal. That's the type of John Stones that you want to see at Manchester City coming out and maybe threading a fullback through. Um, you know, there's still work to be done, but it's it's a very good start. And again, adding goals to your game isn't a bad thing for a defender. Let's move on to the other Manchester team then, Dave. Uh, United, your United, beating Basel 3-0. A routine win in the end for Jose Mourinho's side, although the Portuguese apparently wasn't happy with his side's, with his side's PlayStation football, I believe he described it as. What, what, what was he referring to there, Dave? Um, I think it was the they weren't really uh, playing as a team as as a unit. There was a lot of a lot of mistakes on the pitch. Henrik Mkhitaryan missed two chances. There were passes that should have gone out wide quicker that weren't. Um, it was thinking was talking about it, people people being individual on the PlayStation. You know, I like playing FIFA and I like picking a winger up and trying to take on your whole team. That's how I like to play, and that's I think what he was referring to that it was too many individuals and not enough um, you know not enough collective uh, play. But you know there was some big positives in the game 100% um, of course you know not to disrespect uh, Basel or anything but they're champions of the Swiss League and the Swiss League is one of the best leagues in the world so if Man United can beat Basel 3-0 at home they're probably going to go on to win the Champions League let's all be honest with ourselves the that's, the only, of course, that's the only conclusion that's the only conclusion, that's the only conclusion you can when make Spurs really beat know. Dortmund you, you should know they were lucky they were lucky but yeah, when but then Man United Dortmund, beat Basel Dortmund didn't on. win the Bundesliga Adam um, <laughs> Basel won the Swiss Super League last season Good point, um, well made. In fact, no for the twentieth no time, argument. similar to Manchester United and the Premier League, of course, you know the most. Um, Sound a lot like Allison. 
Premier League titles that anyone's ever won. Uh, yeah, spending too much time at house and Dave, spending way too much time at house. And, um, <laughs> talk to me a little bit about uh, this Graham Souness banter um, that we saw. Harman Sandu writing in, why do people like Souness get paid to talk football? His Pogba comments are outrageous, he says. Uh, if you haven't heard these quotes, this was uh, Graham Souness on Sky Sports saying, uh, I want Paul Pogba to do what Marwan Fellaini does. Pop it off, nice and simple. I'm not saying Fellaini is a better option. What I'm saying is he's a bigger threat. He's more effective. He's not easy on the eye. He's a bit of a fuck at times, which means he's a bad guy, which doesn't make him a bad guy. That's the question mark I have against Pogba. He's got technique. He's a bit of a YouTuber though, isn't he? Is a YouTuber? Does he does he vlog? I've not seen Pog vlogs yet, but that'll come out. That'll yeah, be sick. Yeah, that'll be soon. Uh, you Pog obviously... vlogs. Wow. Pog vlogs. Yeah, like, I'll, I might trademark that. Do, because sell it back he, he's going to come for that. Paul, Paul Pogba is going to come for that. Um, obviously, Dave, you're a YouTuber by trade, if you will. Yeah, uh, by trade, yeah. What do, you, what do you make of these comments from Graham Souness? He's an idiot, isn't he? He's an absolute idiot. Like, just don't... There's no point in commenting on Paul Pogba if you, if you, you know, if you think that's what he is as a player. That's what he's done for Man United since he joined. That's what he's done for Juve, the Champions League final that he played in. Come on. That's so basic. It's such like... It's so boring these days. It's so boring watching Sky Sports and watch the... Watch them just pump out absolute rubbish and think it makes sense. What, you know, Graham Souness has managed. He's played for Liverpool. He's won the European Cup. What the hell is he... Like, does he just not care about his job? Is he just taking his fat paycheck because he's played the game once so he can now talk about it? It's just utter, utter crap. And I think what Marouane Fellaini brings United is, is an X factor. It's something different that teams in Europe won't be able to deal with. And we saw, again, the impact of Fellaini. Arguably could have grabbed two assists. And, of course, he scored that goal. A wonderful late arrival at the end of the box. What was impressive was his movement. As soon as he received the ball, he played it. He made that forward run. And that really disorganised Basel's back three. They were playing a back five, back three um, system. So it's one of these things that... I really enjoy Marouane Fellaini and I'm really going to enjoy him in the Champions League and he played very well. So Pogba now what out for four weeks. Marouane Fellaini's time to, to step up, of course, under Herrera. Um, you know, there's, there's certain issues off the field why he's not getting into the starting lineup potentially. Um, but again, Paul Pogba isn't, a, isn't just a player that you want to keep it simple. You want to allow him that freedom. You want to allow him to control the games like he's done in the Premier League this season. The games that he's played in central midfield next to um, Nemanja Matic is an argument for him being man of the match every single one of those games. So I just think this analysis is terrible. If Pogba becomes a YouTuber, Pog vlogs would be sweet. I also, if I can just make a comment there about the the comments that are made about Pogba and maybe this is something that I'm guilty of as well is I don't really like the um, consistent criticism of, of Paul Pogba in terms of his off the pitch um, his off the pitch doings and you know we we constantly see a criticism of the amount of haircuts that he gets and it, it just seems like something that a lot of media entities seem to land on perhaps because he's a uh, a, a black footballer and and you know I'm not uh, accusing anyone of, of racism or anything like that but it just it, it's just such a tired narrative and such a tired criticism I mean let let somebody express themselves you know Paul Pogba hasn't done anything wrong in my opinion and it just seems like empty analysis I I, I don't understand it how good was uh, Victor Lindelof Dave because I saw a lot of praise for him on his on his home debut I believe yeah, very impressive. I thought he was really, really good on the ball. One of the things that you may not um, you know, see from the TV angle is his appreciation of space when he's got the ball at his feet and his ability to split the, split the lines with the pass, which is a skill that is worth 50 million, 
right, Nico, for John Stones. Um, and it's something that Lindelof has. I think the things that Lindelof needs to improve in potentially is positioning when the ball's in wide areas. Looked a little bit off the pace there. Um, and maybe, you know, the moment where he dived in, he defended really well throughout the whole game. Then that slide in the second half that nearly conceded a penalty. I literally think that was just because it was bucketing down and he lost his footing because previously to that, he was being defending very well, standing off the opponent, making the attacker make the decision, you know, putting it into the attacker's court, uh, allowing United to get around the ball and then they'd win it back. It wouldn't be necessarily Lindelof that would make the tackle, but Lindelof would, would also almost engage him in the psychological battle of where are you going to go, where are you going to go, I'm quicker than you, I'm stronger than you, you've got to make a decision now. I think that that's good for a defender to, to have that in this United defence when we have so many players that will go sort of chasing the ball. It's good to have someone that will be like, no, I'm going to stay in the line, I'm going to be the one that's going to hold this all together. So it was a fantastic, fantastic day, home debut. And I really enjoyed his passing to Mkhitaryan. He found Mkhitaryan in between the lines in the inside right channel on, on frequent times. And I think that's going to be a big skill for Manchester United in the next in the coming weeks. I'd argue that Lindelof now should be brought into the first 11 just because Paul Pogba's not going to be midfield anymore. So obviously Pogba has been the United's creative hub. He's been moving the ball around and everything. Now you've not got him and you've got two more defensively minded players in Matic and Fellaini. Expect Matic to step up in a ball playing sense to switch the play and so forth for Laney to add that extra height in the penalty area but what you might need is another ball player coming out of the back and stepping into midfield which is exactly what Lindelof could be for Manchester United so it's going to be an interesting selection at the weekend against Everton but I expect it back to be Phil Jones and out of day but I'd argue a case for Lindelof you know we he will get sharper and you know he's going to get sharper with game time I think it's a little bit Henrik Mkhitaryan where is it going to be too late for he'll be included? But you know, he'll, he'll may come into the squad back end of uh, let's say December. Is that going to be too late to make an impact on the title race when you could throw him in now? Yes, he might make a few mistakes. Yes, the media might get him on the back, but ultimately, you might get a, a better player faster. I should say as well, Harman Sandu also asked on Twitter. Uh... Don't forget to ask Statman Dave about when he's getting his front free logo tattoo. Um, didn't realise what was happening. Did I miss the, miss the team email? I think you may have missed the team email. We, we've sort of been trying to uh, decide what yeah. to do about the old, uh, the old missed bleach blonde forfeit, mm. Dave. Uh, is the bleach blonde going ahead? Is the money going to charity? Is there a tattoo? I mean, we need to think of some alternative. Well, what do you think? It's with you, but you know when you when you with email me. within the, if you email within the team, um, Adam, I'd I'd like to be on that email. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a team. I, I think we just mentioned it on Monday in passing. It just it just sort of came. Ah, do you know what the most uh, logical uh, conclusion is? If he's not bleaching his hair blonde, tattoo, mate. Just got to go. Don't with like tattoo, needles, mate. Don't like needles. Um, Sorry, mate. All right, not going to happen. I'm going to have to put the vote on Twitter. Uh, so tattoos not happening. I thought we already had a vote on the Twitter where it was going to be a donation to charity. Uh, no, I don't think I actually put that up yet. Um, That's such a carp out. I think you'd like to think that the vote had gone up and everyone voted. I think you're underestimating the internet as well, that they'd ever vote for uh, charity over some sort of uh, forfeit. Um, But we need to think of an alternative forfeit, Dave. If it's not going to be needles, if it's not going to be bleach blonde hair, we need to think of something, you know, that will will satisfy the need to see you you undertake some sort of punishment for uh, incorrectly... Punishment for correctly saying that Zlatan Ibrahimovic would be good in the Premier League. Well, it's not not exactly what you said. (laughs) Not precisely what you said. 17 goals in the league. Yeah, I believe we said over 20, mate. Over 20, that's what we said. The only reason why I made the bet was because you were making stupid comments about Liga and I was upset about that. I like Liga. You can't go back on this, mate. You can't no, go back no, on this. Just, you can't I'm try just, and backtrack I'm, it now over a year I'm later. I'm just letting the listeners know that you know nothing about Liga. Poor old Leon, Lille, Marseille, Saint-Etienne. They're good. Mate, I'm, nice not, I'm not denying that. But listen, I'm not the one who lost the bet. That's what matters. 
results speak for themselves. Uh, so we're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to put the tweet out. We need an alternative forfeit. Dave's refusing to get a tattoo. He's refusing to bleach his hair, guys. We need some sort of forfeit for Sam and Dave um, for his foolish, foolish prediction uh, to show his lack of football and knowledge. Uh, so, guys, tweet in your suggestions because we gotta get. We gotta I'm get. Not letting you have that at all. No, no way, followers. <laughs> Absolutely no way. What do you, you mean? Admit, you admit to me how much of the season were you? You're absolutely crapping yourself in that. Oh, I, was I was relaxed. I was relaxed. I knew that, that the age would become a factor. I thought, you know what? His, his knees. His knees are a potential yeah, weakness. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I do wonder. He's had loads of knee injuries in his yeah. career. Just, one of these that's what I was thinking. He's not, weak knees. Exactly. He's not had one. So he's going to get one soon. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Law of averages, all that. It was it was genius prediction on my part, Dave. Don't try and take this away from me now. Uh, we'll, we'll put guys get your suggestions in if you think there's a potential forfeit that Dave should do. Um, let's move on then. Uh, we should say That's Chelsea. Great. Chelsea also won comfortably uh, in the Champions League, six 0 in the end for uh, for Antonio Conte's side. Uh, so a great start to their Champions League campaign against Carabag. Uh, elsewhere in Group C, PSG built set. Beat Celtic 5-0. Uh, huge mismatch, I think it's fair to say. Um, but PSG, uh, seen as impressive nonetheless. Uh, they're going to win the Champions League this year, aren't they, Nico? They're, well, you can't say a dark horse. But uh, do you think they're up among the favourites for you? Is it Celtic, sir? Yes, yeah, Celtic. I'm saying Celtic are among the favourites to win the Champions League. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, I definitely... Brendan Rodgers, the tactical now, etc. I definitely think so. You know, Brendan Rodgers coming back to the four, going to get his job back at Liverpool, obviously, yes. um, after he, you know, wins the Champions League and, and I think beats Jurgen Klopp in the final, possibly. Celtic-Liverpool final. I like um, What about you know, um, so. PSG, the underdogs? You know, no one's given them a chance in this competition, Nico, but do you think they could, they could surprise a few people? I think they I think they really could. I know Dave doesn't give them a lot of credit, but I think with Unai Emery's off-ball uh, tactics and, and some of the things that he's done in the past, because I think they were really unlucky last year not to get past Barcelona. Obviously, they had that collapse in the second leg, and that was purely down to the manager, really. Um, but with the pieces that they've added in their current front three-grade podcast... Uh, I think they really do have a chance. You know, you, you couple their great defenders and, and really talented midfield with Adrian Rabiot and Marco Rotti. Um I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. With, with Neymar, who, if you account for his, uh, you know, some of the things that he does in attack, because I think there was a statistic that one time in a Barcelona game, he was dispossessed 46 times. Um, so I think if you account for, for Neymar from an offensive sense, 
then you have a really, really good team. And obviously the Champions League is more than just about being a good team. I think it needs a bit of luck. It depends on who you draw. Um, so I, I, I've always said that I think PSG will win it within the next couple of years. So I, I honestly think this could be the year with the addition of Mbappe. Mm. Could be a real dark horse for the Champions League then. Uh, what about Barcelona, Dave? Do you think they're a, a dark horse? They got their Champions League campaign in Group D off to a good start, got some revenge on Juventus, uh, a 3-0 win in the end. I mean, obviously there was all this talk of crisis just a few weeks ago, and although I'm sure you could argue there's still those well, issues no, off the pitch. There's still, no, but there's still potential issues off the pitch with the club's hierarchy, um, potential long-term concerns, but... Right now on the pitch, it's undoubtedly working. Uh, Ernesto Valverde deserving of credit for that? Yeah, massively. I think he's completely changed. Oh, Messi's now playing false nine again. So, you know, that's what you want to do with Lionel Messi every few years. You want to rotate his position. So he kind of feels excited about the game again. I think that's a big thing. New positions for Messi is like fun. And, you know, I don't think it's it's not time yet to bring Messi into a deeper central midfield position. But where he's playing now is more, you know, like an attacking midfielder. The, the formation is works so well in an attacking and defensive sense. Luis Suarez playing more of a, you know, left winger slash a David Villa, Thierry Henry type player that's joining Lionel Messi and will make that move in behind. It's more, I'd say it's more David Villa than Thierry. Henry, because I used to remember when David Villa used to come across and become the striker and Messi can play those bounce passes off and we saw that for one of the Messi goals but they're, they're going to be very very good this season I think they've sorted out Jordi Alba who I was big 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 criticising him at the start of the season he's shown some good form in recent weeks has been good in Liga and was very good against um, Juventus and again he's going to have to hold that whole flank down with Suarez playing on the left wing Dembele uh, slash Delefeo they're both quite good players in a, in a functional defensive sense but also you know if you want to go with Dembele's pace and ability on the ball you've got a really good outlet there I just think it looks really good for Barca at the moment it's just about keeping Andres Iniesta fit if they can do for the for the season you know I'd argue that maybe play 20 games in the Liga for Iniesta or even less than that just keep him fit for the Champions League do what kind of Zidane is doing with uh, Ronaldo at Real you know play him in the big games and then let him just rest his, his knee in the other games but very very impressed by by Barca and in a way what, what's getting quite boring at the moment is is fans or you know just talking about their clubs and blaming their owners for their problems um yeah owners are problems at some of the time but there's a lot of football between the owners and of course the pitch there's players there's management there's staff there's tactics there's all these things so at the moment i think the narrative of blaming blaming overs is boring um and quite frankly barcelona there has been some issues but it's not just the president's problem there is systematic problems with them not bringing through the right level of talent if they can't get into the squad um, but as well as bringing through that talent and then getting that into the first team from the, the B team to the A team. So there's more issues than just the, the, the management. I don't think that's an issue, but Valverde's showing why he's one of the best tacticians in, in world football, why he's bounced around uh, Greece for a bit, athletic Bilbao manager twice, and now he's at Barcelona. He fully deserves that. And I can't wait to see Paulinho scoring in the Champions League final. <laughs> can, I, can I also just say, I, I think um, I'm not incredibly knowledgeable about the hierarchy and, and maybe some of the fallacies that a lot of Barcelona fans see within their management um, or their upper management. But one of the criticisms that I'm hearing consistently is that the reason that they're unhappy with uh, and they feel that there are a lot of issues with the hierarchy is because of the uh, lack of youth development. And they see Real Madrid bringing through some youth. Um, but people have to remember that a lot of these players that are currently in the Real Madrid team were bought at that you know, after they had come out of youth academies or right at the end. So they really didn't develop those players, but they have developed some. Um, but at the same time, you know, the expectation that I think 
uh, Barcelona fans have of this amazing youth uh, development as a, as a club was something you know perpetuated by the Guardiola era that obviously you saw that Champions League final where I think the majority or all um, but one of the players was uh, was a La Masia graduate was something that it was always unrealistic to keep up and for people to say oh you know we, we uh, we've fallen as a club because our entire team or half the team or a couple of players of the team aren't um, aren't out of our youth academy and that's something that we hold uh to be one of the uh i guess features of our club is is ridiculous because that's an anomaly if you look at how consistently uh teams especially at the level of barcelona have uh players that have graduated from the youth academy it's very very low because that's just it's how football works out at the current time and, and how youth development works out at the current time. Um, so to have that expectation that you're going to have an entire team of players that are all La Masia graduates and, and be really upset with the hierarchy because there's not a ton of those players is, is ridiculous. I mean, it was, it was an anomaly that happened and it's unrealistic. I do want to point out, um, you know, I'm saying Barcelona are a dark horse there. I am being sarcastic just in case people start tweeting and saying that we're being ridiculous. Um, just wanted to cover that, cover that off. Adam, I've got, I think I got odds of, um, I, what, let me just work out the odds. I think I've got some cracking odds on Barca to win the Champions League. Wait, are they an actual dark horse now? Are they a dark horse? Well, I got them at 10, I think I got them at 11 to 1 yeah, not to bad. win the Champions League. Not bad. Um, pretty decent indeed guys let's move on to part two it's the Europa League roundup with one and only Lawrence McKenna and the man the myth the legend himself Chris Hennage thanks Adam uh, there's a good section to come from Chris and Lawrence now uh, some respite if you will um, Chris good to have you Lo- lovely to be had uh, now tonight some some very strange stuff has gone off some people calling it uh, you know, fans taking back control. Some people calling it uh, outright wrong. Uh, wh- where do you think you stand on the way that Cologne and Arsenal uh, played out off the pitch? And then we'll go. We'll go to one. Arsenal got a good result in the end. Um, it clearly meant a lot to Cologne this game because I think it was their first game in Europe for like 20 years or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I can understand why they travelled en masse. I think maybe this is where you need more dialogue between the clubs in the build-up because I can't imagine that Cologne were unaware of, of the, the number of fans that were going to try and make their way over because they probably all inquired for tickets at some stage. It's also bloody empty right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, jo- it's I mean, a joke. It's not. It's actually quite a big. It's actually a decent sized city. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's elements like that where you have to think that common sense comes into it. Um, and yet, saying that, watching things unfold on on Twitter before the game, it seemed like it was a very polarizing situation. In so much as yes, there was instances where there was lots of issues, or there was at least some issue outside the ground but at the same time it seemed like actually there was a decent amount of just well-behaved well-mannered Cologne fans that wanted to get in and try and watch their team so is it, is it I mean it definitely does strike me as poorly planned by the clubs because surely if you know that 20,000 people are going to turn up and your allocation is 3,000 very often surely it would be a good idea to say don't travel in the way that you know maybe you should and and then or maybe encourage your fans to not try and flood a Russia stadium. The, the, you know, there are a lot of questions. I, I think I was listening to TalkSport at the time 
I don't know why. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get the game on five live and I couldn't get any coverage anywhere else. So I was trying to, you know, tune in basically. And they were saying if this was something to replace the tinnitus. uh, Yeah. Um, and it turns out (laughs) tinnitus was better. Um, and the, the, the main issue was, uh, if this had been England fans away in another country, they probably wouldn't have got, gotten the same treatment. Um, there, there was then also sort of the factor of um, obviously people saying uh, Arsenal dealt with the situation weirdly. I think it's maybe worth flagging that actually I don't think Arsenal are the ones who are in control of the stadium on the night of a Europe of a Europa League game or a Champions League game. Dependent, uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, that it's UEFA who I think almost officially licensed the stadium, take control of it. Uh, and then have full control of the stadium and employ the staff in the same way, I think. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what the setup of that is, but it was that way when we went to go and see Juventus play, and I don't know why it would have changed. There was dialogue between the three clubs apparently tonight, and it was decided it was safer um, considering what happened and 20,000 fans turning up and you know what would stop 20,000 fans sort of doing the same tomorrow maybe or whatever. Uh, so fans that then rushed into the stadium and then filled half of uh, the Emirates tonight changed the atmosphere, maybe even changed the game, Chris. I mean, that's probably, a, you know, the least concern in terms of safety, but it, it possibly changed the game uh, when Cologne went up early on. And surely UEFA now are going to do something. Yeah, I, I mean, there's got to be some consequence to it because... They bought tickets in the home section, and and that only became uh, evident when Cologne scored early on. So there's also, sorry, it was also evident when outside uh, Cologne fans were trying to buy Arsenal shirts and get into the stadium. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was... hello. We are just two English people <laughs> trying to get into the stadium. Mm. S- someone likened it to the Great Escape, which I thought was uh, yeah, the opposite very of funny. it. Yeah, um, maybe also poor taste if you're in, in, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think, yeah, there's got to be consequences because they're very strict about this kind of thing. At the same time, I have to be true to, to my opinions here and think there's maybe a small, and I stress small, part of me that thinks, you know what, it wasn't that terrible actually when you look at, like, there was no fighting in the stadium. If the Cologne fans were really that bad. Have you, may, have you maybe seen different uh, things? I saw, I saw police... And fans clashing. I saw fans pushing over uh, railings. I mean, I know it's not a human. No, I'm talking about once in the stadium, once they were like mixed, there was no kind of like, once the game kicked off and all that stuff and, you know, Arsenal go 3-1 up, at no point did like the Cologne fans start around and just turn around and, and start roundhousing people. So, you know, maybe there's a, a small argument to be made. I mean, that's the thing. I'm obviously fortunate enough to go to the States fairly regularly and they mix fans. And the worst I've ever seen is someone in Arsenal. I guess, so I guess what's interesting is this, right? We, we cover the, we cover the Sadio Mane situation. And on the same, on the same podcast, we say, doesn't really matter what Mane wanted to do with his boot. The boot was there. Do you apply that same logic to this set of fans? Does it say, do we say, well, it doesn't really matter whether the Cologne fans smashed a window or not. What they did was destructive and what they did 
did mean that a lot of Arsenal fans missed the second half of the game because a lot of people had to leave to get the last train home. A lot of kids missed the game. The club would have lost out on revenue because of this, possibly. Yeah, there's, all, there's all sorts of questions. And then not only that, but they could have endangered a lot of fans if, say, tonight there was... Uh, um, you know, it's, it's not unreasonable to say we live in a, a society where terrorism exists. Say there was a terrorist in that crowd of people who wanted to get in and the bags that were supposed to be checked weren't checked because people were rushed in. Now, arguably, that's not the Cologne fans' uh, issue and it should have been dealt with by UEFA. But maybe UEFA's argument to counter that would be maybe you shouldn't have been doing that in the first place and we wouldn't have been put in this situation where we couldn't have provided the same level of safety. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think that's the difficulty with this is it's quite a, a convoluted issue in so much as you're right. They, they clearly do something wrong before the game, but then thereafter, you could say that, you can say fairly they didn't really misbehave or, or do anything sort of untoward. Again, there are also important yeah. caveats to that. As you say, the, the terrorist element, things like that. I'm, I'm, I know there's a low I'm, chance, but then it, it, you never... Obviously, you always... You always go to a game now with that in the back of your mind, but there's always that low chance, I guess. And I guess it is always that. That's why terrorist attacks are surprising in that sense. I know it's sort of a silly thing. It sounds silly or it sounds sort of, you know, well, this could have been. But, you know, for instance, the other day on this very same podcast, we said if Mane's boot had been, I don't know, a little, a few inches to the left, Edison would be blind. So, I, you know, I'm just sort of following that same logic, really. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing. It is a very... Uh, I think you make some more than valid points. I, at the same time, I'm just loath to criticise football fans when they don't do something wrong. I'm happy to acknowledge when they've done something wrong, which is the the instances before the game. No, I see but thereafter, they didn't do anything, to my knowledge, or yeah. to my opinion, that was, that was too wrong. So... <sighs> the difficulty with this is at the same time is obviously the 1980s has a lot of emotion yeah. and a lot of feeling to it and that's the problem is that when emotion and logic clash you tend to just get more ambiguity more than rather than more clarity so well it was also unusual because you also sort of felt as if maybe the arsenal fans and the cologne fans were happy to create an atmosphere inside uh, and, and part of the problem is maybe the you know the, maybe the clash against the bureaucracy of tickets and those sort of things. But then there's a, I mean again you know maybe clone fans need to be uh, it, put it this way. If this had been England, if this had been England fans, and this had been a situation involving a club which had lost fans in a serious stadium disaster, you wouldn't feel the same way. Would you, you wouldn't be reacting in the same. We'd say there was some level of immaturity there. We'd be saying it forgets the roots of the English game. We'd be saying all those sorts of things. And we'd be, uh, people would be, hype, be almost hyperbolic about the way that English fans act abroad. And that, that's, that's so embarrassing. Do you understand what I mean by that? 100%, yeah. I think, like I say, you make a lot of sense. That there's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, do you know what I mean? There's sort of I, it, it, it's the media reaction versus and the moral outrage versus the it's just a set of fans trying to see football sort of thing, isn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah, uh, well, I, I'm sure there will be fallout. I'm sure that there will be some way that we can relate this back to Brexit and immigration, um, and then we're, we're, I suppose also we'll get back to the game, Chris, where uh, two more. 
more immigrants scored. Uh, there was Kolasinac and um, also Sanchez in the end getting the winner with a brilliant individual piece of skill. Sort of showing his value to the team, but at the same time, not showing the emotion that maybe brings that the, the real value to the team for the Arsenal fans. I, I mean, Kolasinac to me seemed a, uh, an obvious move because once uh, Colin scored... Their their uh, sort of mo was let's sit deep, let's spring on the counter attack. So it was almost a, a complete reverse of the Tottenham Dortmund game the other night, where Tottenham were the ones that wanted to sit deep and, and counter. And he's quite an attacking fullback. He likes to get forward. He likes to contribute, and he can at the same time. So it made a lot of sense to to maybe even put him on from the start because I, I didn't think uh, Cologne were going to test Arsenal that much. Um, and yeah, that, I mean that's the thing. They've won three one tonight, but at the same time, it didn't look that convincing. Um, and it, it still leaves one, a sort of weird. Yeah, it still leaves like a sort of weird bitter taste in the mouth. It's yeah, it's a win and everything, but it's not. You know, you're not left thinking, okay, they could go on and win the Europa League here. I mean, I guess I guess it's also a very unusual match for Arsenal tonight. But then at the same time, I guess you could also say there are pluses to that as well. You know, Arsenal. Uh, see the likes of Wilshire get some more time under his belt. They see a goal going when Jack Wilshire's on the pitch. They see uh, Hector Bellerin scoring. They see Sanchez scoring. There's a lot of small positives there that maybe, whilst they feel eclipsed by the bigger picture tonight, in the long run, could be the kind of dot that you link backwards and say, well, you know, there was actually a, something going on with the fans there or, you know, we, something we can... That was a great bonding moment that a lot of fans in Arsenal maybe needed as a club to be reminded of. Because actually, the, a huge problem with Arsenal at the moment is the um, tyranny of the bureaucracy going on there right now, right? <laughs> um, I mean, look, it's a, it's a club where infighting is rife. I think that's that's fair to say. Or, or you know, the, the, the certainly the, the battle lines are drawn from the supporters towards the dugout and, and things like that. But... I, I, it's a curious one because uh, I mean I don't have any connection to Arsenal so I can't claim to be a supporter or anything but there was part of me watching Hector Bellerin celebrate the third goal and thinking like you know does it really warrant that you know he's kind of making out as if like he's done something he's achieved something they've, they've beat a side that are bottom of the Bundesliga with uh, from what I could gather a few injuries a striker that doesn't really score that managed to find the net like it's that's the thing. I almost feel like with with Arsenal at the minute, they're so quick to self congratulate when they do something right, and you know that's that's really not the sign of a winner. A winner just gets on with it. It's a good point. Although at the same time, uh, I imagine that there are Germany and Cologne fans also uh, screenshotting the uh, Arsenal position in the league and saying, "We just built something, beat someone. We almost beat someone in the Premier League. So who cares?" Uh, anyway, Arsenal get away with the win in the end, uh, which is much more than Everton, man- Everton managed. Uh, Everton lost 3-0 away to Atalanta. Chris, uh, possibly underestimating what they were coming up against, or ultimately Kuman said, maybe not preparing in the right way, and that's on the coach. They're, they're in such an awful position at the minute, Everton. Because, well, because they've clearly got this ambition that they want to make the top four. But you look at, 
And I did a, a video for you, Max, on this about the similarities with them and Man City circa 2006, I think it was, when when Taxi and Shira and, and Sven Goran Eriksson come in. They're buying players that are better than what they had previously, but are still not top four quality. Understandable. And, and so, like, Pickford is a potentially very good goalkeeper. Michael Keane is a is a good defender that maybe will get a rung or two better than where he is now. But then you've got like Sandro, which on the surface seems a very smart deal. His kind of drawback is he takes shots from ridiculous angles. Um, if you look at his shot maps from last season with Malaga. You mean low XG? I believe that's one term that could be applied. Yeah. Um, and then you've got Rooney kind of floating in there as this really emotional impulse buy that's quite expensive at the same time. And it's it's a team that wants to do so much, but it's it's kind of running before it can walk. And the thing with Coleman is as well at the same time, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if maybe there's a little bit of revisionism about him now, because you look at Feyenoord, Giovanni Broncos comes in and wins the league with, I would maybe argue, a team that's about the same level as the one that... that uh, that Coleman had yes he finished sixth with Southampton but is, is that an amazing achievement given the, the the kind of detailed infrastructure Southampton have how much of that was really his success and, and how much of it was Les Reed's and the people behind the scenes because that's the, the thing I just wonder with, with Coleman now is is it a case of he's maybe not as good as as he has told everyone that he is and, and that's seeping down to Everton who were trying to break into a top four in a situation where it's not like City did in 06 because they had an actual space to potentially try and fill, whereas Everton are, are trying to get into a top four where there's six already better than them. Uh, that's a very good point. Uh, there's there's a lot of other really good results now in Europa League. Actually, Europa League, uh, just as fascinating as Champions League in the first round, at least. Uh, Lazio winning against Vitesse. Is it Vitesse? I mean, do you say Vitesse or Vitesse? Um, in the end actually uh coming back from behind there uh and uh, we also remember what happened in Syria on the weekend where uh Milan obviously didn't have such a great result but now winning 5-1 against uh Vienna tonight um Braga getting away with a, a good victory as well and Villarreal also getting away with a good victory a lot of a lot of good games uh, and of course Marseille winning 1-0 at home to Konyas Konya Spore, yes, and other names. Nice winning 5-1, uh, of course, after their great result. Um, Chris, the point is that actually, you know, as much as people put down Europa League, and maybe there are some people out there mocking it, but, you know, it's a funny joke, sure. Great cliche, you've, we've all done it. Um, there, there was a lot of great football tonight, and, it, you know, uh, some well-matched teams in there. So, great competition back again. I enjoy it personally. I know, I know it gets pelters and everything, but I, I do enjoy it. Um, I think, look, you can't make the Champions League. Everyone can't be involved in that. And and for you know, you need to look at Cologne as a as a great example of a club that do appreciate it. And it's a it's a good chance to to give other teams and other clubs a chance to to, to show themselves on on the European stage. So yeah, I, I don't think it's as um, as tin pot as people like to express. And there's the edit for the start of the podcast. Uh, excellent stuff. Well, if you want to go check Chris out on the global stage, uh, he's on Twitter. It's at K Hennage, 
Kh. <laughs> that's a new. That's a new letter. K H E N E A G E. Chris, what's your latest article? Just did something on Palace and why. Uh, achieving stability is possible despite the fact that the Premier League is becoming a bit of a mayfly league for managers. Is it titled something like Hodgson, Why Reform is Possible? It's not, but oh. it does reference Hodgson. Yeah, well, I've, I bloody hope so. It's an article on Palace. <laughs> um, <laughs> good, excellent. Uh, well, go give that a read because actually Palace are uh, fascinating right now. Uh, what seemed like a well-rudded ship... Uh, uh, that analogy ended quickly. It's good to have you guys now back to the rest of the podcast. Welcome back to part three. It's time for the weekend preview in association with Fan League. As we told you last week, Fan League is a new football prediction app that lets you take on your mates to predict the outcome of the weekend's top English football matches. With Fan League, you predict the outcome of 13 English League games each weekend, selecting a home win, an away win or a draw, competing for weekly and seasonal cash prizes if you predict 10 results correctly you win if you predict 13 results correctly you are player of the week and win big uh, the great thing about fan league and part of the reason we've partnered up with them uh, it's not just this great fun it's a great app to to get involved with and prove that you are better than your mates at predicting uh, the weekend's football but they're also donating 10 percent of their revenues to youth and grassroots football projects which is lovely um so there's a good reason for you to get involved uh, we do have a front free league set up so if you do want to join in and challenge us to prove you know football better than us which isn't hard uh based on last week's results click the fan league link in the podcast description download the app and get involved and take us on uh, there is limited space only 100 places so uh, the first 100 people to click will be able to join so do get clicking um, before we get into our predictions we should review last week's predictions uh, Dave you obviously weren't here um, to influence us one way or another but myself Nico and Lawrence gave it a go let's have a look at last week's predictions so we actually got eight out of 13 right we, we did all right didn't we, we? Did, okay. we did okay um we got the qpr call wrong uh, qpr ipswich you know uh, you know what they say about qpr exactly uh aston villa brentford was wrong brian west brom was wrong as well that was a big one i was convinced west brom were going to win that one uh considering how good they've been in defense this season yet yeah, they leaked free to brighton somehow so we got that one wrong uh stoke man united as well we got wrong we predicted a man united win but it was a draw of course in the end and Swansea versus Newcastle we of course went for a Swansea win hedged it with a draw as well but Newcastle won uh, so we only got 8 out of 13 we're going to try and better that this weekend uh, first off of course Tottenham v Swansea um yet to win at Wembley this season in the league Spurs but of course that massive uh, win over Dortmund Dave uh, which you uh, rightly gave so much credit to morale yeah, boosting real good performance uh, means they're going to beat Swansea Deli Alli's back he was rested midweek of course because he was suspended for the European action um, Spurs win sure we've got to go for a home win for this one I think so. Um, you know, what Spurs have been doing quite well in the Premier League in this new system, obviously, of course, getting Ben Davis forward. He's the top um, creative fullback in the Premier League this season. I think ben, Benjamin Mendy will take over that mantle as soon as he starts, uh, you know, playing. Obviously, he played last week, but he, as soon as he gets going, he's easily going to be the most creative uh, fullback. But Ben Davis has been doing very well uh, getting forward, I thought, against uh, Everton. They played very well. I thought that Spurs were were good. They created chances where Everton are weak in terms of Everton. They are you know real dodgy front three behind the main striker. They don't defend. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting to see Swansea how they set up if they go for a similar midfield, quite workman like in there. Of course, uh, the main man 
Renato Sanchez made his Premier League debut, was absolutely smashed by social media, but it will take a little bit of time to get him back into, you know, playing at the level at Benfica. Expect him to be a bit of a, you know, an energy in central midfield. And this will be a game for him because Spurs are pressing. The big thing about Renato Sanchez is he's so good at slipping the press. He's so good. He's like Paul Pogba, how he, you know, can turn out and how he can carry the ball. So that could be the only strength of Swansea, but I expect Spurs, especially Harry Kane. He's just absolutely in form right now. You know, the two goals against Dortmund scored for England, of course, um, starting September very well for Tottenham Hotspur. So I, I can't see, you know, I can't see anyone else other than Tottenham winning this game. Hmm. Ninety-eight uh, percent of the uh, the family users of Conference Spurs wins. So I think we'll join them. We'll go for a home win there. Uh, elsewhere on Saturday, Huddersfield are taking on Leicester. Sixty-three uh, percent of family users going for uh, a Leicester an away win. Uh, would you disagree with that, Nico? I think an away win's a good chance. Uh, yeah, I think I would actually go for a Huddersfield one because I think um, you know they've they've finished really well in front of goal this season, um, and if they can catch Leicester out, that you know press them high, it's very difficult for some of those players to recover. Uh, so I'm going to go with Huddersfield. Okay, uh, I disagree wholeheartedly and want to go for Leicester. But the great thing about Fan League is you can hedge. Uh, your bets with seven of the uh, seven of the fixtures, you can bet on two outcomes. So we'll go for a Huddersfield win and a Leicester win there uh, to satisfy both myself and Nico. <sighs> guys, I, I think it'll be a draw. Oh no! Sorry, guys. Okay, would you side with myself or Nico on the winners oh, so we can hedge um, on a draw? I'd probably go Huddersfield win or a draw. I think okay. Leicester okay, have shown fine. some uh, good spirit to come back. But they are a bit leaky at the I back, and I kind um, of expect um, the whole. Yeah, take take that, Boltwood. I won't rub. I won't rub it into uh, too much next week. Then when we come back and uh, we talk about Leicester's win, uh, Liverpool Burnley. Uh, of course, as well on Saturday, uh, Liverpool Burnley win every time three 0 <laughs> For re- only two percent of people on fan league are uh, are going for a Burnley win. You're, you want to join <laughs> how, them, Nico? How are two percent of people not seeing the obvious here that Burnley will counterattack yeah, pretty seriously? I, I don't know. I'm thinking a draw maybe, as opposed to a, a Burnley win. Uh, Dave, what, what, what do you what do you say? Be the tiebreaker. Uh, Chris Wood obviously signed um, at the end of the window. Uh, more of a target man type striker, but a striker that could cause Liverpool a bit of problem. I don't think they suit well to playing against a, a dominant centre forward. And you know, I, I kind of, I can just kind of see it. You know, Champions League, they played midweek. Is there going to be a little bit of a hangover? Obviously, playing um, on on the Saturday. So I'm going to go with the. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Nico Burnley. Oh my god! Okay, uh, Burnley win, and can we hedge it with either a Liverpool? Let's hedge it with a Liverpool win. Oh, I'll make yeah, this, I, I like that. Uh, Newcastle Stoke also on Saturday. Um, maybe go for a home win on this one. Coming off the back of that win away at Swansea, so we're good against United. They defended quite well and they attacked quite well down the wings. Obviously, Chubamoteng grabbing a brace. Um, Hesse was a bit dangerous. I think this is the thing with this Newcastle side. You know, they're going to be defensively strong. They might grab a goal. Um, you know, Marino has been fantastic um, in his last two games for Newcastle. But this just screams a bit of a Stoke victory for me here with uh, Diouf maybe coming in from right wing back, getting forward, overloading the left-hand side of Newcastle. Maybe John Joe Shelby will be back in the side as well, um, which I am you know, not really a fan of. So I'm going to go for a Stoke away win. I would agree with that, actually. Uh, Nico, any objection to a Stoke away win? 
No, I think I think he's right. Um, I haven't been impressed at all with Newcastle this season. I think they are going to really struggle to to find the the back of the net themselves. Mm-hmm. And Stoke are coming off a good win against Manchester or a good draw against Manchester United. So Stoke win. Watford, Manchester City also on Saturday. Uh, Watford currently fourth as the Marco Silva hype train rolls on. But against arguably the best team in the league in Manchester City on form as well, uh, scored what nine goals in their last two games. So, like uh, are we going for an away win for Manchester City, Nico? Uh, I think it's not going to be as cut and dry as people think it is. It, it is a possibility that that Watford take this one because of Marco Silva's defensive compactness and willing uh, willingness to break, as well as you know some light pressing. Um, so I might say a draw. Man City win, hedge it with a draw. Yeah, perfect. exactly. Um, West Brom, West Ham. West Brom, West Ham. This is an interesting one. Uh, could go either way. Uh, West Brom, of course, coming off that disappointing defeat to Brighton, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, somehow shipping three goals uh, at the Amex. Um, West Ham coming off that morale-boosting win against Huddersfield 2-0 on Monday night. Could Slavon Bilic make it two in a row, Dave? He needs it, I'd say. This game's got draw written all over it for me. I think West Brom, um, you know, following the shock defeat from last weekend, um, they're going to keep it tight at the back. Oliver Burke uh, was pretty decent uh, last weekend. I thought he contributed quite well in the attacking sense. Uh, grabbed the assist for the James Morrison goal that they did get, the consolation goal. Uh, but I think this has got nil-nil written all over it. Nil, nil. We'll go for a draw. Lots of crosses into the box. Simple defending. Okay, we'll go for a draw. We'll go for a draw. Um, On Sunday in the Premier League then, the big game, of course, is Chelsea against Arsenal. 78% of fan league users going for Chelsea in this one. Um, Hard to disagree with them, Nico? I find it easy to disagree with them. Uh, I think... Maybe Antonio Conte is someone that has his number picked by Arsene Wenger, considering their record. Uh, so I'm going to go with an Arsenal win. My God. Uh, Dave, can you speak some sense? <laughs> Chelsea. Chelsea. I think Chelsea, Chelsea um, in the big games look like they're switching to a bit of a 3-5-2. And I like, I like that from Conte. You know, you can play Bakayoko um, and Kante. And David Luiz played defensive midfield in the last big game. So I kind of think it's going to be a bit of a battering on the counter-attack for Eden Hazard and the boys. We'll, we'll hedge a draw on this one just to, to sort of concede something to Nico, but surely not. I can't see an to win there. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. You can, you can say, come back and say you told us also next week. Uh, finally, in the Premier League, we've got Manchester United v Arsenal, Manchester United v Everton on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Dave, home win, Manchester United? Yeah, I'd say so. I think it will be a midfield of Maran Fellaini uh, um, and Nemanja Matic. That's quite a lot of power. Everton are quite narrow in the final third. They played uh, Sigurdsson, Classy and Wayne Rooney um, against Spurs and it didn't work out in an attacking sense and it didn't really work out in a defensive sense. Uh, especially on stop. the right-hand side where Sandro um, or, or Rooney were being positioned and they were switching positions in the attacking sense but also in a defensive sense so there was no one that had the real discipline to drop back so which meant Gay had to cover such a huge area of the pitch Spurs would work it Christian Eriksen would pick the ball up in the in the pocket on that sort of uh, left hand side sort of inside left channel that half space and then he just play out to Ben Davis and Ben Davis had so much space I think um, Martinez I think is it Martinez the fullback um, for Everton obviously Seamus Coleman's out injured just doesn't look very sharp defensively and the amount of crosses Ben Davis was just playing in like unchallenged he had so much time to play I think that could be a good thing for United playing either you know Ash Young could go there 
was brilliant against Basel midweek, but probably it'll be Daly Blind with his natural sort of left foot delivery crossing. But this could be a game for Luke Shaw, obviously, if he wasn't coming back from injury. This would be perfect for him. Um, what you'd want, an attacking sort of left wing back. But yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Blind in there. I think United will dominate this game. Let's go for home win. We'll go for home win for that one. Uh, let's move on to a couple of the championship fixtures. Millwall Leeds. Leeds, of course, flying right now, making a big push for promotion. Um, I don't think they've lost a game yet. Have they lost a game? Oh, no, they're top of the table after seven games. I think they've won four in a row now. So um, I think we should go for a Leeds win, an away win, I should say, for that one. Uh, we've also got Barnsley v Villa. Uh, one win in six for Steve Bruce now. Uh, a poor start, which has left him 18th. Uh, four draws so far as well. So, Barnsley uh, aren't great though. So, I want to go for a, a Villa win and we'll hedge for a draw as well. Uh, we've also got Cardiff v Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Cardiff losing their first game of the season against Fulham last week. So I think we can go for a, for a home win because largely they've been impressive so far this season, Cardiff. Uh, Brentford v Reading as well. Uh, four draws out of seven um, so far for Reading. So I think uh, we'll, go for a, we'll go for a Reading Reading win, an away win, and hedge for a draw there as well. And finally, we've got Nottingham Forest v Wolverhampton. Um, who, of course, we learned this week, have Mark Hamill, a.k.a. Luke Skywalker, among their fans. I don't know if you guys saw this on Twitter. Did you see this? I did see it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Uh, it was another It was another English team that asked him if, if they liked them as well uh, later on. So Mark Hamill supporting different different English entities. He's sort of someone that asked him if he supported Wolves on Twitter, and he said yes, even though he didn't know what or who Wolves were. But then the club themselves apparently reached out to him and sent him a very nice message, which sort of uh, made him think, oh, do you know what? Maybe I am a Wolves fan. So um, there you go. Luke Skywalker supports Wolves. The force is with them. So we're going to go for an away win against Nottingham Forest on Saturday. So there we have it. That is the family predictions done. I'll run through them very quickly. We've got Nottingham Forest v Wolverhampton, we've gone for an away win. Millwall v Leeds, away win. Cardiff v Sheffield Wednesday, home win. Brentford v Reading, we've gone for an away win. Hedge for a draw. West Brom v West Ham, we've gone for a draw. Watford v Man City, we've gone for an away win and hedge for a draw. Newcastle v Stoke, away win. Liverpool v Burnley, we've gone for an away win. And hedge for a draw there, uh, surprisingly enough. Uh, Huddersfield we, v Leicester. We love an away win on the, on the front three. We here. do indeed. Uh, Huddersfield v Leicester. We've gone for a, a home win and hedge for a draw. Barnsley v Aston Villa. Away win, hedge for a draw. Tottenham v Swansea. Home win, hedge for a draw. Chelsea. Home win, hedge for a draw against Arsenal. And of course, Manchester United v Everton. We've gone for a home win, of course. So there you have it, guys. Those are our fan league predictions. Remember, you can get involved uh, by clicking the link in the description of this podcast. Join our league. Like I said, it's the first 100 people who can join for a select community uh, over there on Fan League so do come and join us and take us on like I said last week we've got 8 out of 13 we're looking to better it this week but if you think you can do even better than us do get involved and prove it that's the idea um, so guys that brings then to Thursday's podcast Q&A uh, the Champions League action the Europa League action all rounded up and the preview done as well so thank you so much for listening uh, Dave until Monday when we'll be back with a weekend review where can the listeners find you um, YouTube. There's a video going out this evening, or right now, should I say, um, about who should replace Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. Blimey. Which is a, it's Blimey. an interesting one. Incendiary, in I like some it. Ticky tacks. So, uh, yeah, go check it out. 
we all love TU Tax. Uh, Nico, thank you so much for coming on once again, four in a row now. Uh, where can the listeners find more of you? They can find me on my Twitter, Nico underscore O Morales. Uh, check out my stuff, retweet it if you want. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Lovely stuff. Guys, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. Do go and follow me there. Until Monday, have a bloody great weekend. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 